Coming up in Television Sofa Club. Chuck Swirsky is a freaking Labour supporter. <laughs> that whenever there's a, a revolution or uh, a coup, the first thing they used to go to before the internet age was a TV station. I'm sick of this TV station. It just makes me want to poo. I think in an alternative universe, there is a Wayne's World broadcast signal intrusion. Whoa, dude, party <laughs> on, excellent, WGN sucks. He's turned up to an Elvis competition and dressed as Elvis, and he's come second to Elvis Presley. I don't know. I've, I've got that analogy completely wrong. He's just picked up bits of things from his bedroom, hasn't he, for the props? Like a nurse's uniform. Yeah, uh, nurse's a nurse's uniform. uniform. <laughs> mar mar Marit laid. Yeah, Max Headroom was a, a catalyst crusader. You're Max Headroom, aren't you? Do, do, do the voice, do the go voice. Do, go He'll go, he'll go, f f f off. <laughs> <laughs> The video pirates who managed to scramble Chicago airwaves. Who's responsible for two acts of video piracy? Someone using sophisticated equipment managed to briefly and illegally override broadcast signals on WGN-TV and WTTW. Starting first on WGN-TV at 9.14 Sunday night during a sportscast. 12 quarters finally did. A man wearing a Max Headroom mask. We have been taken over by a video pirate. Well, if you're wondering what's happened, <laughs> so am I. I'll get you a hot drink, miss. A little after 11 p.m., Doctor Who was knocked out by the Max lookalike, who pitched a soft drink, then performed a series of antics that station officials found less than humorous. The display of a marital aid and a portion of his or her anatomy. The 90-second interruption ended with the video pirate's bare bottom being spanked with a fly swatter. And the moon over Chicago they actually saw. All early evidence points to someone with a broadcasting background. Someone who really knows the business and uh, microwave in general. Takes some pretty sophisticated uh, microwave equipment. The FCC says the pirates were able to use stronger microwave signals to override the television signals which are transmitted from the Hancock and Sears towers. The incidents are now under investigation by the FCC and the FBI. But the odds, I'd say, if a guy continues to involve himself, either sporadically or continuously, uh, it's very great that we will determine who it is. The FCC says the wise guys who pulled off this latest stunt are in very big trouble. So what did you think about the whole thing? Very, very funny. Just to get attention, like throwing a brick through your window, so to speak. No, I just thought it would be just a slight mess up, but that in the middle of the tape, it's going to be... We're going to have to tape over it. I got so upset that I wanted to bust the TV set. I really did. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Television Sofa Club. Not the Teletext Sofa Club, but Television Sofa Club. Because tonight, our subject is the Max Headroom Broadcast Signal Intrusion, a.k.a. the Max Headroom Incident, a.k.a. that time a dude hacked into Chicago television. And it is the 35th anniversary of the hack, so tonight we're going to celebrate that fact. And we are going to present to you our very own Alternative theories for the Max Headroom broadcast signal intrusion hack, captive midnight hack thingy. And with me tonight, oh sorry, my name is Max, 
And with me, I'm actually Dan. Hello, everybody. And with me tonight is my co-host. It is Mr. Carl. Is it Carl or do you want a Monica tonight? Are you going to be called Captain Midnight tonight, Carl? I don't think anybody could be Captain Midnight except for Captain Midnight. Just Carlos will be fine. Okay. Thank you. The Max Headroom incident has been increasing in notoriety year upon year. Ever since pirates hijacked the signals of two Chicago television stations in November of 1987, the Federal Communications Commission and latterly the internet have been attempting to solve the mystery of who exactly was behind the stunt. In this podcast, Dan and Carl are going to posit some of their own unique alternative theories regarding the Max Headroom broadcast signal intrusion. But first of all, here's a brief explanation of what happened. On the evening of 22 November 1987, pirates overrode the broadcast of two different Chicago television stations with footage of an individual wearing a Max Headroom mask. The first interruption happened during WGN-TV's 9pm news broadcast, but only a small part of the video was shown, and without audio, before engineers switched back to the regular signal. Well, if you're wondering what's happened, <laughs> so am I. Actually, the computer that we have running our news from time to time took off and went wild. However, Max reappeared two hours later during a WTTW broadcast of Doctor Who. This time, engineers did not notice as quickly, allowing the 90-second video to be shown in its entirety. The footage is very DIY in its nature. In the background is a spinning panel with a corrugated pattern mimicking the digital effects on the actual Max Headroom TV show. The Max impersonator, dressed in a brown blazer and tie, fumbles with a Pepsi can and bobs his head around energetically. His voice is disguised with a ring modulator, making his speech fairly difficult to understand. However, upon careful inspection, we can discern that he rifles through a selection of in-jokes relating to the WGN-TV network. Oh, I just made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds. The video suddenly cuts to Max's bare buttocks, whereupon he screams, They're coming to get me. An accomplice, wearing a dress and face mask, repeatedly spanks Max with a fly swatter before the video ends and the Doctor Who broadcast resumes. As far as I can tell, a massive electric shock, he died instantly. The generator? Are you always so careful? So that is a very basic explanation of the hijack itself, courtesy our friend Patrick. Thank you very much for doing that for us, Patrick. If you'd like a much more colourful explanation, there is a fantastic documentary by the YouTuber named The Bizarre, which I highly recommend. It goes into more detail on the cultural context surrounding the incident and a few generally held theories. Now tonight, we might elucidate on some of the finer details, but mainly we're going to be revealing our own personal theories, however unlikely they may be. I have a list of some of my theories here, Carl, and I know you're eager to share some of yours as well. These aren't necessarily the most serious of theories. 
I'll, I'll put that in the, at the beginning. But mm. we are going to touch upon some more serious topics because these will inevitably lead into some more serious topics for conversation. I mean, it can't be all laughs and giggles, Kenneth. There's always got to be a, a lining of a message somewhere, Dan. We'll unpick that and find it. We'll try our damnedest to find it. Right, so I'm going to begin with a serious one here. And I'm going to say that the Max Headroom incident is the canonical ending of Max Headroom. It is a final call for help from a desperate man suffering from severe piles. And in the end, he died instantly of an electric shock, despite the doctor being so careful. I think the Max Headroom incident has contributed to Max himself still being in the public eye. You could even say that in certain parts of the internet, the Max Headroom incident is more well known than Max Headroom himself. Yes, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think there's probably now a lot of people that would, when you type into Google Max Headroom, it auto completes to incident now. In fact, a lot of uh, podcasts and all that, they cover the Max Headroom incident. They have to spend some time to explain that it was actually a program that was um, on British television on Channel 4. It makes me makes me proud to be British that we <laughs> we make all these uh, cult American uh, figures. Yeah, in a way, Max Headroom was British. Hello, he's a he's a friggin' nerd. <laughs> that Chuck Swirsky is a freaking Labour supporter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I say, I say that that Chuck Swirsky is a is, is a pinko. Now, and um, the, the, the thing about it is that the whole concept of Max Hedrum and blipverts and how advertising and all that comes in, it's now become, everything is now referenced to what was happening in, um, in the film. So much of it now can be applied to go, yeah, well, that actually happened, you know, with the advertising and getting your message through. You know, when you look at things like Twitter and things and the way that they include adverts now on tweets even, this subliminal um, advertising and sometimes you're reading halfway through an advert before you realize it's not a person so yeah i think you know thin end of the wedge i think that's what we'll you know that's what i think and uh, what was the name of the film that it was was it 20 minutes into the future 20 minutes into the future yeah yes. and, and and it's um it is exactly right like that and you could imagine somebody getting finished off for finding out what our intrepid reporter did before he got finished off yeah, you could even say that Max Hedrum as a character caught the wave of what was happening in the 80s with the media boom and explosion and the mass commercialization that we had reached by that point in the Western world. And also all over the world, because Max Hedrum was the spokesperson globally for New Coke, which was, of course, sold in all parts of the globe, even Antarctica. You wouldn't need ice cubes for that in Antarctica. No, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the MTV generation, the first people to actually grow up with videos and seeing that advertising comes in on, on the side of videos, which are ergo advertising something. You know, they were called promos, which is short for promotional materials. So it becomes sort of like um, a self-eating prophecy in the end that you're looking at adverts shown in between pop videos and then you've got the symbol of the west being max headroom who is actually when you when you look a little closer is actually a parody and um, an, an amalgam of uh, everything that's bad with the media and bad with the west that's just why it's so good isn't it because it's all tongue-in-cheek 
And I believe the creators, Rocky Martin and Annabelle Yankel, along with George Stone, who mm -hmm. wrote it, the creators, they had a sort of white conservative talk show host type person in mind, TV figurehead, very cutting, arrogant, sarcastic. And, and it's funny how that has, in places like Japan, that in the 80s would have become a symbol of the West. Oh, <laughs> we're all arrogant here in the West. We're drinking our new Coke. I don't have any Coke with me tonight, but, you know. <laughs> Not that sort of Coke anyway, but yeah. I would find that um, he is, uh, you know, he's your white evangelist going all over the world. He's an evangelist for everything. And he is sort of like a capitalist trope by actually selling Coca-Cola. And then I think, you know, that may lead on to some things we may be discussing later where um, people could argue that he was actually jumping the shark. Ah, well, Max Headroom's lifespan on the television was very short. So you could say that he jumped the shark very quickly. But like you say, I think we'll go into that a little bit later on in today's show. So should we do another one of mine? Or would you like to jump in with one of your theories, Carl? Go with another one of yours there. Okay. Then. Yeah, keep going. I liked this one. This is a plausible theory, I really think. And I've spent ages sitting there in my living room with my notebook, coming up with this theory, pouring over the videos and all the theories that have been posted online, all the evidence. I got it all together, compiled it carefully and came up with this. It's actually an emergency party political broadcast on behalf of the freaking Liberal Party. <laughs> Excellent. But they, they didn't get Chuck to the party, unfortunately. Uh, well, no, people keep asking Chuck Swirsky, even now, is he a freaking liberal? Because he's a freaking nerd. <laughs> yeah, there's a very good podcast, actually, Endless Thread. I think we've both seen it at different times. If anyone needs to have a, a look at the whole thing, they actually, they, they go a bit deeper. They don't just like lift off what's happened off Wikipedia and, and just rephrase it. They actually go and find Chuck Swirsky, Swirsky, Chuck Swirsky. I'm better than and, Chuck Swirsky. And they ask him whether he's a liberal or not. Now, you know, we, we can't actually, um, we don't want to steal that podcast thunder. They need as many listeners as they got, you know. So, but um, the transcript is available on online as well. So um, they, they, they look at that and they look at some various other theories as well. Yeah, Chuck Swirsky was, um, he was somewhat surprised to be named. To this day, he still doesn't understand why he was. And he had security and everything like that because he thought he was a marked man for a little while. And we just don't know whether this person just said that as a throwaway comment or whether they knew him or not. And uh, again, that, that leads into several other theories. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the article you mentioned on Endless Thread, that's available as a transcript and a podcast at wbur.org. And I highly recommend that because I feel it's the best article to completely sum up everything that's been going on with the Max Headroom incident. And it's got lots of little details that come straight from the official, the, mm -hmm. the people who've taken up the mantle of the official researcher's role, whose mm -hmm. names are Rick Klein and Bowie Pogue. Rick Klein, I believe, is of the Chicago Television Museum, and Bowie Pogue is the originator of a famous Reddit thread that appeared online about a decade ago, in which he puts forward his own theory of who perpetrated the Max Headroom incident. Have you seen the Reddit thread, Carl? 
I've not read I've not read it the Reddit thread, uh, but because <laughs> um, it's the go-to source now because there's a lot of people who they'll go down in certain threads and um, you know they they think that they get close to they think who've done it. And the strangest thing is with the statute of limitations, these people could have come out at any point and said that they've done it without any fear of um, being prosecuted now, but they still haven't. So it actually makes the whole thing a little bit more curious. You know, are these people still here? Uh, you know, are they no longer with us? Are they still keeping it a secret for whatever reason? Because, you know, these are techie people. They're, uh, they're going to be moving from bulletin board services straight onto Reddit because that, that's what you do. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know if you've seen some of the theories online. I think the leading theory, we're going to give it away at the beginning because we're going to go into our own funnier theories. But the leading theory at the moment is that it was perpetrated by somebody at the TV station or had links to the TV station. Perhaps a disgruntled ex-employee, and that's even hinted at in the WBR article. Now, these guys, Rick and Bowie, they sound like a pop duo, don't they? Rick Bowie. Rick, Rick Bowie. <laughs> uh, these guys, I think they have more information than they're letting on. So one day, we will hear who did this. I'm fairly confident that it will come out who did this. Hmm. But the question is, should they? The reason this is so popular is because it's an unsolved mystery, even though all the evidence points a certain way. You don't know for certain, do you? And anybody can, because the evidence is there online, the video is posted there for anybody to analyze. It's open to anybody's interpretation. And you can throw in theories from left field and speculate all day, mm. which is which, which why we're here tonight. It's why mm. we're here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Yeah, well, after all these years, people are still talking about it. And um, I was in no position to watch um, a, a cable television program in, in America. I mean, I don't live there and um, I was too young for it at the time, really. But for that to happen, for it to be discussed even today, it, it goes to um, folklore, really, isn't it? It's like figures in the past, Dick Turpin, Spring Hill Jack, Jack the Ripper. They achieve notoriety and infamy because they just cannot be solved. If someone came out one day and said, we've got exclusive footage of what happened, the, the myth somewhat dissipates, and then people don't speculate anymore. And that is the thing with a conspiracy. They're probably more exciting to follow than the reality. Some people you know, live off conspiracy because it oils the wheels of, of their belief system. So I quite like to, we all love a little conspiracy and the, the Max Hedrum broadcast intrusion is one that I want to keep hold of. I can do away with some conspiracies, but um, I don't like this one to be explained away as, as easily. Well, speaking of conspiracies, what do you think of the conspiracy that this was perpetrated by the TV station itself in order to garner ratings or a sort of early form of viral video, if you will, because it was reported on the national and international news. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that is a theory. OK, you could do it just promote. But when you're looking back in the days before pre-internet and pre-YouTube, what would they actually have set out to achieve by doing that? OK, that might get copy all over the world that someone's intruded over a, um, you know, a PBS broadcast of Doctor Who. But nobody outside Chicago is going to be able to improve the viewing figures in any way at all. So, yes, it could be done that way. But 
really, you know, for the amount of effort and the amount of um, carnage that it caused with the FCC, I don't think, I think I'm going to rate that at just uh, four out of ten on the likelihood scale for tonight. Well, what about an FCC conspiracy to teach the public a lesson, to put the word out there that we're not going to stand for this nonsense? They, of course, had the Captain Midnight hack the previous year, just months previous. And that guy only got $5,000 fine and a year probation. 32 minutes past midnight Sunday morning, HBO viewers east of the Mississippi suddenly had their movie, The Falcon and the Snowman, interrupted with this silent message printed over color bars. Good evening, HBO, from Captain Midnight. $12.95 a month? No way. Showtime movie channel, beware. An objection to the price HBO is charging dish owners for access to its recently scrambled programs. The signal got weaker, then, after four minutes, the movie resumed. However, if you watch some of the news reports, Phil Bradford of the FCC says, whoever did this hack will be fined $100,000. That's quite a bump up, isn't it? That's quite a bit more. It, in that year, or however many months since the Captain Midnight hack, that's the price that's gone up on these TV hacks. They were so scared like to inform anybody involved in this kind of thing that uh, there's a maximum penalty of $100,000, uh, one year in jail or both. Yeah, but then you see, you got your, you know, that's Dr. Evil, and he goes, oh, $100,000, you know. Um, yeah, that's, again, and I, I can see that, FCC perhaps putting out there a paper tiger just to put other people off. But when you look what actually happened, they didn't catch anyone to prosecute. And it got more people talking about it. I bet there was more and more attempts that we never even heard about because they got snuffed out at source because of the Max Hedrum incident. That's entirely plausible. Mm -hmm. But in my research, I, I, I wag my pen when I say this, my uh, Wigan Council pen. In my research for this, I've noted that there is some discrepancy in this fine. Phil Bradford, as I mentioned, says $100,000. On a news article, it said $100, but the news anchor said that might be a typo. The 90-second interruption ended with the video pirate's bare bottom being spanked with a fly swatter, but his punishment will be far worse if he is caught. The maximum penalty is one year in jail and a fine. It says $100. I think it is a higher fine. And yet another article from the time said it was only $10,000. So the price for catching these hackers was going up and down constantly, by the minute, evidently, like stocks. Yeah, I could see, and there's, yeah, so there's a bit of ambiguity with a fine, but it could have been a million, it could have been a hundred million. They would have caught, well, would they have caught someone for a hundred million? Yeah, I think they were just trying to say how serious it was. I think they were probably saying, right, okay, this is a bunch of nutty hobbyists. How much money could they possibly have in their bank accounts? And they scaled it to that because obviously, you know, if I went around saying I'm going to find this bloke like a million pounds and he hasn't got a million pounds, it's not going to deter him because he knows he ain't going to cough up. But if you say I'm going to find you 150 quid, you know, it, it could actually be more more of a deterrent because he's got 150 quid to lose. But um, yeah, no, it is, an, it is an interesting take. So what you're saying actually, Dan, is that um, on that particular theory, you, you're saying that they've manufactured a crime to make an example of anybody that would actually go ahead and, and actually follow through with the crime that they have, have framed? Well, I'm just asking questions, Carl. I'm just <laughs> asking questions, as they say in the conspiracy community. Mm -hmm. 
Have you got anything else for us, Dan? Uh, I've got plenty. I've got oh. plenty, Carl. Plenty more where that came from. Plenty more nutty conspiracy theories. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think with the theory that I've got is more of a, not who, because the beauty of my theory, and I'll waggle my pen, is that it can still facilitate all of your theories. So I'll explain. What we're going to do is we're going the way back machine now, back to the early 1980s. We'll go back to um, 1980, 1981, and we'll see who's just been elected after Jimmy Carter to the White House for your start for 10. Do you know who the president of the United States was after that? Oh, Ronnie Reagan. Ronnie Reagan, exactly. Right now. The reason I know that is because in the news article behind Phil Bradford, is a picture of Ronald Reagan on the wall next to the Federal Communications logo. So, so I cheated. No, no, that, that, that's using all sources that you've got available to you. It's no different to uh, using the internet. My theory, okay, you need to get yourself into North American politics in the early 80s, okay? So what you were looking at was America's biggest domestic threat were the republics of like um, Grenada, Cuba, Cuba. Um, and a few other Central and South American areas of concern for the US. Their biggest concern was the perceived row of dominoes effect that communism was having on their borders. And their biggest pain in the arse was uh, Cuba. Well, it's not alleged anymore, you know, you bay of pigs and things like that. They've always gone through history trying to... Um, bring that regime down through sanctions and all that so we go back to ronald reagan who is in fact a big fan of technology uh, do you remember something else that he did which he was famous for in the mid 80s a missile defense system called sdi which was nicknamed max headroom max no no close no star wars you see ah, okay right okay but it's all coming together now because when you look at what he was doing when he first got into government He'd been working on a foreign policy called Radio Marty that transmitted over the airwaves, that intruded over the airwaves of Cuba and their national broadcasts to the extent that Cuba complained about it. So with that sort of set up in the White House, they know that they can, with technology they can win people over um, or perhaps do things without murdering too many people or killing too many of their own troops by using technology. My thinking is that they used the Max Hedrum incident as a dry run or a test, a pen test, to see how easy it would be for uh, an undercover CIA cell to take over a radio station or a TV station to get their message out to incite an overthrow of a government. And I can give you another example of that, that whenever there's a a revolution or uh, a coup in a country... The first thing they used to go to before the internet age was a TV station. Because when you got the message out to the people, you have the people because you're giving the message out. So now you look at the Max Hedrum incident and you look at the time it was broadcast, which I believe was on a Saturday. A Sunday um, night. Yeah. Was it Saturday or Sunday? It was a Sunday night. Sunday night. So it's Sunday yes. night. Okay. You haven't got as many staff on on a Sunday night. Also, you look at what they were broadcasting at the time. It's a sports bulletin. So they were going over a sports bulletin because they knew that the demographic that they wanted to experiment with would be men watching the sports results. 
they wouldn't have gone through a broadcast intrusion over a cookery show because they would have incited the wrong people, people who like cooking. Do you see what I mean? So you could say it was all done in a way where they go, okay, well, if we went to Cuba and nicked a, an existing satellite uplink truck and beamed it over the football, they would have done whatever they would have done, like with overlaying their message to incite the masses. And then they would have got out of there. And that would have perhaps started a revolution or disorder in the respective country, you see. So we come back to Max Hedrum. <laughs> I know this is taken ages, but mm-hmm. okay. Now we come back to Max Hedrum and what they've done is they've instructed the cell to say, you go out, find the people that can do this. Okay. So they find people who are pissed off with WGN or ex-employees, find the technology that you can do this with. So they find the trucks, they can aim the microwave at the Sears tower like they did. And then they say, just do something that will get out in the news. And then that's when they've gone to the people that are doing it and they've gone, what's the most shocking thing you can do? And they've come up with the Max Hedrum thing because they've been given a blank canvas to do whatever they like. The object of it was to see how easy it was to do. So they've gone and done it. The Max Hedrum thing is basically, you know, make sure it's got shock value, make sure people know it's not an advertisement. If we can get column inches somewhere, we know that that would work. So, like, you know, when we refine it and we have our own stock video of, of a Fidel Castro lookalike or some dictator lookalike, we can play that over the half-time of the soccer game in the South American Republic, you see, because they would have practised, they would have seen how feasible it was. Now, we get back to the Max Hedrum incident. The first one was a live, we think it could have been a live intrusion, And it could be the case that there was just enough staff working on that Sunday to get rid of it. So they got rid of the noise carrier. Although the picture was there, they got rid of the noise carrier. So the pen test failed on that one. The second time it broke through was on a PBS network where they've got nobody, nobody at work on a Sunday. You know, just the guy who's just pressing play on the tape, basically, and a continuity announcer if you're lucky. So then that's when you get the full recorded one. And the recorded one is basically satellite uplink goes in there, beams up, finds a frequency that hasn't been moved because everyone's been spooked already. And it's this poor old PBS broadcast. So Doctor Who really cops it and gets the full thing. And in fact, we more or less know that the tape ran out on the pre-record of the the Max Hedrum incident on the second one. It wasn't cut out. So then we get success there. But then when all the people come back and they sit back and they have this meeting and they go, well, yeah, so, okay, we managed to do it. You know, it could be that they decided, oh, no, we tried six stations and we actually could only get it through on one of them. And uh, we we decided, um, no, it's too much of a waste of time and resources and we won't go that route. We're not going to use that anywhere. But without trying it in your own country, Remember, they've got similar broadcast equipment, NTSC and the same TV systems and things like that. They might have thought, no, it was just too much effort in the end to try and get that Max Hedrum instant replicated somewhere else. But it wouldn't have been Max Hedrum, remember. It would have been something a lot more meaningful. And and I think they deliberately made it innocuous to make it completely detached from any political Machiavellianism. There you go. I'll breathe now. (laughs) I think you're right. It does cover all of the other theories that we have gone through and will go through tonight because it's an overarching theory. You've actually tried to tackle it 
from a more national, international perspective, you're attaching a much bigger worth to the incident than we're all giving it credit for. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then they've sold it very, very well indeed, because I'm pretty sure nobody has come up with that theory yet. Mm -hmm. And nobody, I wonder if anybody has come up with a theory about it being a government thing. I mean, if, if, you look at, if you look at what happened afterwards, nobody got anything. The FCC were against the CIA. The CIA were against the FBI. They all played off against each other. It snuffed itself out. And maybe we will never find who done it because it was actually like a government operative who didn't know who the hell Max Hedron was. It was some pencil neck in the Pentagon all along. Right. Now, you mentioned the breakdown in communication between the FBI, FCC, and the local Chicago police. And that was definitely a thing that was reported. It certainly happened. And that's what's blamed for the whole incident coming to nothing in the end, and nobody was caught. Mm. But along similar lines, could it be that the TV station paid off the local police force to basically make the case go cold or to stop knocking on doors, to stop going around and pursuing the case. Yeah, it is feasible. I mean, you don't know who this disaffected employee was, and perhaps if you cornered them, they might have had plenty more to say about their motives for carrying this stunt off. You know, you you could say that that's probably why it was perfect pickings for somebody to, to carry out an experiment like that. You know, if they've got someone who's really disaffected and perhaps... The brief is from, from some sort of agent that you need to try and cause minor anarchy and see how easy it would be to do over a broadcast thing, uh, then or broadcast medium, should I say, then, yeah, you, you could do. Yeah, it is mentioned in the Endless Thread article that apparently layoffs had just happened previously on the TV station. Now, if we work this into our theory, that could just be something to throw us off the scent. It could be, or it could actually be that these people didn't know who they were doing it for. You know, it, it could be that they were encouraged to, you know, go, oh, yeah, let's do this stunt and all that. And they and they just wanted to do the stunt regardless of who. Or, or it could be that these people were diehard patriots and they and they thought, no, we'll do everything we can to protect the way of life that we have. And if we can do anything in our tech hacker community to do that, we'll, we'll say whatever it takes to get the right people on board. Yeah, hence the frickin' liberal, the only line in the whole thing that's politically motivated. Mm. Because if you look at a lot of these hacks through history, many of them have some sort of political motive Mm -hmm. or some sort of message they want to convey. With this, well, I think there is a message, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in my next theory, I think. But it doesn't seem that there is a serious motive to this. Frickin' liberal is the only mention of politics in the whole thing. But I don't think we should read too much into that, personally. Well, also the comment that when Endless Fred actually looked into it, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, it turns out that Chuck isn't really much of a liberal at all. So either they knew him and they knew that he definitely wasn't, so we say that he, he is. And, and again, you know, the, the beauty of all these theories is that they can all swim together. They fit in certain different direct, you know, certain ways round. 
but yeah, that that was the only political thing that came out. That was the and and the mention, obviously, the the American application of liberal is to actually insinuate that they're they're left of center. So you know, to to, to call someone a, a liberal in this country, uh, you know, you, you're sort of middle of the uh, political spectrum. But obviously, if you call someone a liberal out in in America, you're you know, you're more or less accusing them like McCarthyism. You're you're more or less accusing them of being like a a red. Fits in with your communism theory, I guess. A red. Yeah, that's the other thing as well. I mean, you know, that, that's always it's quite a hurtful thing to call someone a liberal in in certain circles. Yeah. So you wonder if that was actually in the mind of of the person playing Max Hedrum. Maybe when that mask comes off, that is what they're like. Maybe they are. It's, it's funny. I, I don't know about you, Dan, but you, you know, when you look at hacker, you sort of look at them as a. This is just a generalization, obviously, but you look at them as sort of like being left of centre, yeah. um, wanting to share with the world or or, or um, freegans, people who who are anti-property and anti-capitalism. And that 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 is a built-in theory, isn't it? So if you imagine that you've got the guy with the mask on and actually he sees these the biggest right-winger going, you know, and, and because he's a right-winger, because you've got to remember he's working for the government and uh, he's, he's a die-hard Republican and he's, he's doing everything he can to um, prevent the spread of communism. <laughs> So, well, you know, in that way, it's curious then that they would choose Max Hedrum because mm. he's supposed to be a sort of middle of the road conservative white guy, isn't he? And mm. that's what they're lampooning in the original show. Mm. But in the American version of Max Hedrum, they slightly changed it, slightly changed the tone. So he's one of the good guys on the side. Was he on the side of the TV station in that series? So I think that we, yeah, 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 he was. And but the, the, this, the other thing is that you've got to think of what masks were for sale in the shops of Chicago at the time. If it was a case of, or you could have a Ronald Reagan mask, or you know, I don't know what other masks would be available. But you know, if they had a Max Hedrum one up there, maybe the, the choices of mask available maybe were the inspiration of the character that was there. But does that also cover the getter of his accomplice that appears in the video? Fly swatting him on the buttocks. Yeah, dressed as a French maid. So yes. you know, and and that puts you off. To, you know, does that mean that the co-conspirator was was a female? The quality of the, the video would indicate that we we won't know for sure. But if they've been to the same shop and they bought the French maid thing and and the Max Headroom get up from the same place, uh, that that could happen. But the the one thing that makes obviously this uh, less plausible is the is the excellent spinning garage door effect that they've got behind them i mean that is you know if they have driven it on oh all i could find was this french maid uniform and this max headroom mask they've done the background absolutely wonderfully i mean that's really come come out nicely it's just to try and throw you off the scent yeah i think you're right carl i believe that there is more premeditation and thought that has gone into the max headroom hack than they would have you believe hmm. Because if we look at the incident itself and all the things that are brought up within the video, the 90-second video from the second hijack at 11 mm -hmm. p.m. on the PBS station, it's easy to say, well, he's just making it all up as he goes along. He's just riffing. Everything is just, ah, I'll do this. Now I'll pick up this Coke can and throw it. Ha, ha, ha. But there might have been a little bit of a scattergun approach to some of the props that they got. 
But if we analyze everything that was said in the video, I think it has some sort of relevance. Mm -hmm. uh, or are we giving them too much credit? Well, let's just run with this mm -hmm. because we've got the mentions to the TV station. That's the main thing. They're just ripping into the TV station. Max, who uh, voids his bowels after watching the intro to Clutch Cargo, mm -hmm. he might be saying, well, we're sick of seeing that on repeat for the five millionth time. I'm sick of this TV station. It just makes me want to poo. Mm. It makes me want to poop. Yeah, it... Oh, what have you got there, Carl? What's that? This is Bud Zero. Oh, is it... It's not Coke or Pepsi. Sorry, mate. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> That's it. Um, so what else do we have in the video? We have, of course, the can, which is relevant to his shilling for New Coke that mm -hmm. year. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating me? It's true. More people are, as we cocologists say, catching the wave. Catch it if you can, can. Catch the wave. Coke. <gasps> Also with the Coke, though, he was promoting, was he promoting new Coke? He wasn't promoting the Coca-Cola, which we now was called classic, uh, original or whatever. You know, for some reason, they wanted to change the, uh, the, the recipe. Not only has he sort of hitched his trailer onto something like, you know, really commercial, he's also backed the wrong horse. He's backed the unpopular version of the most popular beverage in the world. So he's sort of like, he's turned up to an Elvis competition dressed as Elvis, and he's come second to Elvis Presley. I don't know. I've got that analogy completely wrong, but it's hypocritical. You know what I mean? He, he's decided to go all in. He's doubled down on actually going, yeah, I'm going to hit the commercial thing. And then when he's done it, his team have picked the wrong thing to go for. Yeah. I see what you mean. That's taken on more relevant in the years to come and people are researching this thing. It was a prophetic thing, wasn't it? Mm. It just adds to the whole satire and irony of the whole thing, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he was clever enough to know that New Coke was going to bomb. And he thought, because you look back now, you'd go, well, that'd be perfect. Of course he's going to back New Coke because he wants it to fail. Yeah, well, you could write into that whatever theory you wish. If you're a conspiracy theorist like we are, Carl, mm. sitting mm. here in our, in our blazers and ties <laughs> with our notepads mm. and our shades. Yeah, so I've yeah. just got my conspiracy jumper on today. So I'm just sitting here dreaming of the conspiracy. I do look a bit Steve Jobsy, actually. It's, very, it's, it's quite dark, isn't it? The... What is it? Theranos? It's, um, I don't was know. it Theranos? Or... Theranos. <laughs> yeah, you've got your Theranos jumper on, a more modern tech scam, mm. if you will. Yeah. A more modern tech. You could just got to wave your arms around on a white background and then you can sell anything. Well, speaking of hands, did you notice how big Max's hands are in mm. the Max Headroom hack? He's got some big, thick hands. Mm. I'm sure the FBI looked at that and thought, mm. well, we're looking for somebody with oversized gloves. The other thing that we could never tell now is video quality. Because what we have is we've got videos of videos of a poor signal so we watch that now and we think oh that's all fuzzing in and fuzzing out because he's a pirate pirate broadcast but what we can't really tell is because it's like because of the picture quality of a ntsc screen and the fact it's been lifted on a vhs it's lost a hell of a lot of its quality 
we can't be sure. We look at that now as we're going, oh, that's rather primitive and, and rather Heath Robinson. But actually, was the quality of that of, of that broadcast close to broadcast quality? I mean, we look at it now thinking it was all done on a camcorder. But that's our, that's our uh, belief, obviously, of, of what it was like, you know. But at the time when it was actually overlaid, the sound quality was really good. So I'm just wondering if the picture quality was a lot better. And then that would again go back to the fact that, you know, this is a bit more elaborate than what we think. You know, it, it looks shitty and amateur now because it's on a 40-year-old bloody VHS tape that was recorded off a standard definition TV. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Ben, who is from the Oddity Archive, you might know about him. Guys, if you're in the slightest bit interested in the Max Headroom hack, you probably have seen one of his videos. He thinks that it is a camcorder that they have used to shoot this rather than a film. Mm. I believe because of some of the artifacting and the glitching that happens. Oh, the, t the screen tearing at the top that you only get with a certain grade of domestic camera. Yeah, although you do get that screen tear as well on a um, on a TV output. I used to get that when I used to plug my portable TV into a um, into a video, and you'd get a forward. The overscan can't keep up at the top; it bends over at the top and comes down. So again, I think yeah, it probably is what Ben says, but you still could say that that is lifted from just a, a monitor, a TV monitor that is not the scan lines aren't, aren't coming in time at the top of the screen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it it is, I would be. say it would be a camcorder because yeah, the size of cameras back then, I mean, a camcorder is still going to be quite large. It's still going to be over your shoulder. You know, you didn't have a view camera or anything just then, and I guess you'd need uh, to, to plummet through a telly just to see what, what output you were getting. Yeah, some theorists have actually said that it could be a film camera. We just don't know for certain. Uh, it could have been shot in the WGN studios, for all we know, really. And, they, and they've tried to degrade it to make it look worse than what it is, to throw people off. But again, it comes back to um, the, you know, the background of the, of the spinning corrugated door or, or, or whatever it is. You know, the, the, the definition of that certainly shines through. And, you know, you, you, you've, you've made contrasted versions for uh, teletext. And, and it works really well. It's as if it was designed for a black and white TV broadcast. Yet again, most Central American countries use black and white TVs. See, there it is. It, it all feeds into it, Carl. Oh, everything is. I'm on a, on a conspiracy roll right now. No, listen, I can see the people on Reddit right now. They're just writing this down. Oh, a new theory. Let's, let's post about it. Ah, yeah. uh, there we <laughs> I go. Mean, you, can, you can blame the American military industrial complex on, on, on the trains being late in, 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 in where I live. <laughs> yeah, I can blame them for everything. Yes, going back to the corrugated iron background. That is the best part of this thing, props-wise. Because for many years, it fooled us all. We thought it was an actual corrugated sheet of iron. And the FBI were investigating warehouses that could have corrugated sheets of iron in them. <laughs> but it wasn't a corrugated sheet of iron. It was a piece of cardboard with a load of duct tape attached to it. Oh. And if you watch the HQ 4K restoration, which I'll probably link up in the description of this video, uh, the restoration shows that it is most definitely tape on some sort of mm. surface. Well, I guess you have more options, didn't you? Because you've now made that 150 times lighter 
and it's not going to make any noise. So I guess you could just put a pin in the middle and spin it off a camera tripod or something like that. Yeah. Or off a wall, just have a nail in the wall and just get someone spinning it round who's out of shot. Now, that's how I would do it. Yeah. That leads to another theory. Some people said that it was actually an advertisement for a corrugated iron boards company. But as I've just said, that one's been debunked in recent years because we've got, I believe it was for the 30th anniversary of the hack, we got a higher quality restoration courtesy the Chicago Museum of Television. In fact, we learned a lot of new things, I think, and we just brought lots and lots more conspiracists to the subject. <laughs> so, uh, should we go to some more theories? Yes, let's do it. Well, I've seen it said online that Max Headroom, uh, the Max Headroom hijacker was the best doctor. But actually, I would say he was a second-rate Doctor Who villain with slightly better props. <laughs> well, you could be looking at the way Doctor Who, I'll, I'll be controversial and say the way that it's uh, written these days, I'd, I'd say that the, uh, the, the, the Max was certainly the, uh, the ninth best Doctor. That's for sure. You know? Oh. And, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, but yeah, that could be. I, I wonder what, what, what Doctor Who would have thought about Max Hedrum. Doctor Who killed him. He suffered from a massive shock and died instantly. He hated him. He hated him. <laughs> he had three hearts. Yeah. <laughs> he regenerated. What would, what would Max Hedrum now regenerate into? Who have we got close to now? Uh... Well, uh, interestingly, Max Hedrum would certainly work in the 21st century, in the year 2022, if he came back and did a series, he'd work just as well as he did in the 80s. Only minor tweaks are needed, but that sort of trope still exists in media, uh, arrogant chat show host. You're right, Dan. I think he could become one of them sort of summarizers that you get on the Yesterday History programs. So, <laughs> like, when they go, oh, and we're just visiting this uh, German armament thing that's built in the Channel Islands, somewhere in the English Channel... And then they go to this person, they go, and you went in and there was huge cannons everywhere and huge storied areas everywhere. It was absolutely massive. And then like the next bit would be, oh, and we go to this gold mine now that's been abandoned in South America and we'll ask our expert about it. Oh, yes, it was marvellous. Can you imagine it was really big and all that? The expert summarising that Max Hedrum, he could just do that. He could just uh, you go, well, 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 war's a bad thing. Yeah, and, and then that'll be that. That's brilliant, Carl. I think that tops everything. That's it could be, yeah. Some summarizer for uh, National Geographic, maybe. Uh, yeah, but chat show host. Uh, I think, and again, I don't know if it was our imitating life. I mean, I don't think Jonathan Ross is going to watch this, but um, you know, Jonathan Ross became a good chat show host after Max Hedrum. Is that because of the Max Hedrum incident, or in spite of the Max Hedrum incident? Because of Max Hedrum but not the, I wouldn't say the intrusion, but yeah, you'd ah. say you've got that trope of smarmy talk show host giving way to the younger, more dynamic type one. Jonathan Ross was at, was at the time, but he was sharp suit, wasn't he? And if you squinted your eyes, you'd look a bit like Max Hedrum. He had the hair and the lighting. And yep. maybe mate, Max Hedrum was the host that we all wanted. On an 80s camcorder, yes, Jonathan yeah. Ross would look exactly like Max Hedrum. Yeah. Just a little bit of makeup. At the risk of going off at a tangent, do you remember a, a very similar Max Hedrum character on children's TV in the early 90s? 
there was a there was a guy in, and i always thought i was that max hedrum but it wasn't max hedrum but it was done in exactly the same way right let me think um and you know stylistically it was very very similar um could it have been a puppet like uh spitting image or something spitting image always comes up on the periphery when people talk mm. about britain yes. and the max headroom hijack because yeah. of the scary puppets and oh, there could yeah. be some sort of link there maybe yeah. it was somebody who worked for spitting image mm. made the mask <laughs> now i, I want to ask a question about the mask call do you yeah. think the mask came with the shades or do you think they added them do you think the original mask had eye holes and they put the shades over to disguise themselves or do you think it came with the shades that would be bizarre because i would never sell a max hedron mask without the shades really ah did he wear shades they? did he wear he did, did he, he wore shades or did he not wear he didn't yeah sometimes he did yeah yeah must i'm not sure yeah, they knew their subject well then, maybe. But yeah, they would have covered the, he would have covered his eyes because he could be identified, couldn't he, with his eyes? Yeah. yeah. So I reckon they must have cut holes in the in the mask because they'd need to be bigger for him to to see what he was meant to be reading, and then put the shades over. But as you've already demonstrated, how difficult is that to read with shades on? Yeah, good point. So maybe that's why he was riffing so much. Maybe he started reading. And then gave up halfway through and then went into a, a, a freestyle. Yeah, I mean, he's just picked up bits of things from his bedroom, hasn't he, for the props? Coke can. Like a nurse's uniform, uh, a maid uniform, rather. <laughs> Mar marital aid. Yeah, yeah, that's it. This feeds into my biggest theory of this, the Max Headroom incident, I think. Here it is. It's a genuine Max Headroom sex tape finally released to the public it's a sort of revenge porn from the tv station now if you look if we look at the evidence here the final segment where he's being spanked on the bottom like a naughty boy it's a genuine portrayal of foreplay Go on. <laughs> uh, well, actually, there's the alternative theory that Max's buttocks were infested with flies due to the piles, hence the fly swatter. But yeah. I think that was just something he had lying around in his bedroom. One of his toys, if you know what I mean. Yes. But yeah, I must admit, to have that hanging around. But again, so outrageous, isn't it? When you read online about what happened, you sort of see people actually rung in and said, well, what was that? Was it an advert or, or something like that? Some people still thought it was just all part of whatever was happening on the TV station. So maybe that's why they tried to make it as outrageous as possible. Well, the reason for that is it was a new thing. People wouldn't have known about this sort of thing. It had never really happened before. People hacking into a TV station. They mm. might have seen public access with crazy stunts going on there, yeah. but they wouldn't expect that sort of thing from an actual broadcast tv station a paid one licensed tv station mm. so it's entirely possible that they would believe that that they would think oh it's part of the broadcast i'm going to keep bringing up the news reports because they are possibly the best documentation that we have from the time because they're unedited 
they are just the way the news reported the incident at the time. Each news channel has gone with a different angle. I believe it was it the WGN one was the most serious one and the most stark, because I believe that one was the one with the bloke that said, I got so annoyed, I just wanted to bust the TV set. <laughs> I mean, the, cr the craziness of that. And then a woman came on and said, oh, I'm going to have to tape over it now. It's ruined my broadcast. It's ruined my tape of Doctor Who. <laughs> so what did you think about the whole thing? Very, very funny. Just to get attention, like throwing a brick through your window, so to speak. No, I just thought it would be just a slight mess up, but that in the middle of the tape, it's going to be... We're going to have to tape over it. I got so upset that I wanted to bust the TV set. I really did. I mean, <laughs> in a way, that one thing is what made me interested in the Max Headroom incident, because it's just absolute comedy gold, that. And then they cut straight to a kid who's saying, I think it's very, very funny. So you've got all these outraged <laughs> adults and then a kid going, yeah, it, is. it was pretty good that, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. <laughs> they're saying basically that if you're on the side of the hijacker, you're a little kid and mm. you can't laugh at this because it's serious business. Nefarious people can hack into TV stations now. That is the other thing with it, isn't it? It's sort of like the broadcast intrusion. It was meant to maybe bring home a message to um, the viewing public that, you know, they're, they're not all safe at home. Yeah. You know, oh, if, yeah. if someone can intrude on your TV program, then yeah. they could quite easily do anything else that they wanted to do. So they're sending out a message there to, to make people sort of like more vigilant or more aware, maybe. I mean, you know, there's been obviously other similar intrusions done. You know, when you look at the Captain Midnight or there's the one done in the UK with the radio amateur who just tuned his radio into a broadcast frequency for the sound carrier for his local TV relay and went over the programme tending to be from somewhere else. They were clearly... Captain Midnight one, not necessarily, but the... Uh, sorry, the British one. Are we talking about the Vrillin incident in 1977, where yes, he pretended are, yeah. to be an alien? Yes, that's right. Oh, by the way, I must point out that the so-called recording on YouTube is not an original recording of that. It's somebody reading it dramatically. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Sorry, go ahead. I just yeah. wanted to clarify no, that. Uh, well, that's a CFAX holidays moment, isn't it? Whoever's done that now has rewritten history. It's but, the uh, Mandela effect again, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and But you know that's a joke the moment someone opens their mouth, you know, and, and that's the thing with it. But um, what they've done with the Max Hedrum incident, which is so different, is that you just don't know what the motives are. I mean, with the British one, you just knew that the bloke was just dicking about and you knew he must have been a bit of a boffin to actually do that. Whereas you sort of left scratching your head with the Max Hedrum one. You know that someone must be clever to hack it. You know that someone must be um, able to get their resources on it. And you don't know if these people are frustrated art students or something like that, you know, to, to do the performance. But I think there's just too many people in there for anybody to know exactly what's going on. You know, it's so fragmented. People are just doing their little bits in it. So that's why it's different to the British one, where it's just one geezer doing a voiceover, pretending to be an alien. Right. He knows what he's doing. He's got full control over that. Whereas the people who are doing the video, like I say, they might not have known that that was going to get even broadcast that might have just been like, oh, we're going to video this for a bit of a laugh. And then someone's got hold of the tape 
and gone, right, I've got to now hijack a satellite truck. What am I going to broadcast? And I've just stuck that in. It's just too perfect, though. All the stuff in the hijack lines up perfectly. If the second tape were broadcast during the first hack and all the same lines or all the same lines were read, all the same content was there, it would sort of line up with the fact that they were taking the piss out of the first mm. station. It was during the sports broadcast. He cuts in to say, I'm better than Chuck Swarsky. Chuck Swarsky, local mm. sports reporter, by the way. Yeah. That, to me at least, shows that that's what they wanted to broadcast during the first one. Mm -hmm. And I think they deliberately waited for that time. Mm. They, they knew they were going to do it during the sports report. Yeah. And as such, it was pre-recorded with that in mind. Mm. So I think they knew before they recorded the video that mm. they were going to do the hack. Mm. So there must have been some sort of test before this. They must have successfully got in at some point yes yeah so they must have been well, there's a couple of things on that so yeah you're they must have done a test but they must have been really innocuous you know they must have just put a, a very brief glimpse of something up at a certain time for someone to be watching it somewhere else you know just like a like a blip you know because um they, they, nothing's been recorded about that also with what you were saying about you know your second point that the uh, the video was made as as a snipe to mention one of the sports reporters so yes it was meant to go out on that first one that got successfully well half successfully blocked we knew that it happened so it wasn't successfully blocked but it was to the extent that the the noise carrier was out and um, it wasn't up for long but the I still think that they probably tried many cable stations before they got to the Doctor Who I think that was in the pecking order very low down because it wasn't meeting the objectives of getting a lot of people to watch it. I mean, how many Americans are going to watch PBS Doctor Who? On a um, local TV station. Yeah, on a local TV station. They've basically just got down to the lowest, easiest to penetrate thing. And, you know, when you do look back and go, well, was this an effective way of trying to incite a nation to do X, Y and Z? They've probably gone, well, the idea is good, but no, actually, the only people that you actually go out to is going to be 10 people who who are interested in, in a British a British show on a free-to-air thing when everybody else is either in bed or watching the game. So actually, on the balance of probabilities, you know, it wouldn't be a particularly successful thing to pull off as a, as a covert op. Do you think it would have been possible to hack the national TV with the technology available to the hackers? Would they have been able to do that? Or was this the biggest they could have shot for, as in a Chicago mm. local TV yeah. station? As I, yeah, as I understand it, it would probably be um, very difficult to do it. You'd have to synchronise various vans or, or trucks to be in the line of sight and more powerful than the uplinks that are going to the hub at the time, which was the Sears Tower. So would it have worked? No, I don't think it would. But would it have needed to work? No, as well. Because, again, if, you, you know, if you're looking at what they were trying to achieve, they weren't trying to achieve to take over every station in America. They were looking just to knock out one hub. And if you think that an area serving Chicago would probably be like... Um, city state or a capital city somewhere else in the world they'd only really need to take out one uplink so 
yeah, I don't think they could have done it on any larger scale. I think the only other thing you could really do with that is get the tape and actually break into the main place that's broadcasting it out. Uh, do a Wayne's World rather than a Max Headroom. Yeah, a oh, wrong film. That would have been the Wayne's World incident, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. I'm surprised he didn't actually get a cameo or anything in that. I think everybody else did in, in those films. Well, I think in an alternative universe, there is a Wayne's World broadcast signal intrusion with mm. people with Garth and Wayne masks Go, yeah, going, Go- whoa, dude, party <laughs> on, excellent, WGN sucks, ah, extreme close-up. <laughs> yeah, swing. <laughs> excellent. Look, Schwingsky is a freaking yeah, sh- liberal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He's a real fucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, oh, I think that. So, yeah, it's a good, good theory. I think they, the theories are getting getting really good now, then, I think. We're really good. Have we spoken about this guy yet tonight? No, I think you should introduce him now, then. Here we go. This book is entitled Creative Computer Graphics. Well, I've seen that book before. That came free as a free gift for buying something at the Britannia Computer Club. So you'd buy two computer games and you'd get a free gift with your first one. And a friend of mine actually got that book. That's why it looks so familiar. Uh, My mate got that book. He ordered some computer games and got that book. I ordered some computer games and wait for my book. But I got Paddington Bear, Learn How to Read and Write for the ZX Spectrum. Unfortunate. You went the wrong way, Carl. You went the wrong way. Indeed. So I must have um, read my handwriting. This guy is called User Friendly, and I'll just give you a little bit of background about him here. Designed by Bill Murr and modelled by Carter Burwell as a set of polygons, ellipsoids, and cones, User Friendly is generated from a computerized description containing all the information necessary to create perspective views of him from any angle. Surface color and reflectivity are also specified in the description so that various shading effects can be produced as desired. His many joints, including eyelids, can be animated and a human mouth has been met onto his face to give the impression of speech lip synchronized to a dialogue track. Now, the reason why this guy is so relevant is because he's a sort of forerunner to Max Headroom. And when the character of Max Headroom was originally pitched, this was the visualization they had in mind. They wanted to do a fully CG model, but it unfortunately was cost prohibitive at the time. These days, anybody can do that with FaceApp or a free app on our little mobile phones, a little computer that size, a little computer that size can produce that now, which probably took a massive supercomputer in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So this guy was designed by Annabel Yankel and Rocky Morton, I believe. Oh, right. This is a really cool book, by mm. the way. I love it. I've thrown away a lot of my books, but I kept this one. Look at this. This is relevant tonight as I struggle with the book. Oh, yeah, the Coke can. Yes. Your love is <laughs> Catch the wave. <laughs> There's a lot of fantastic graphics in here. Um, Yeah, user-friendly, the first computer-generated TV presenter, part of a moving sequence created at New York Institute of Technology Computer Graphics Library. All right. So he's done in America. And he was so significant, they chose to depict him on the front of the book. 
Yeah, I always remembered that book and I misremembered it. I actually thought it was Max Hedrum on the cover. And you look at that now and you go, well, that's, but you, you can still see Max Hedrum in, in him. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're pretty much the same, aren't they? They've modelled the real life, as mm-hmm. it were, uh, makeup after him. One of the first uh, singles I bought was Max Hedrum and the Art of Noise. Ah, so how was that? Insomnia. Goes, am I sleeping? No. Where am I? In bed? What am I doing? Talking to myself. I must yeah. have a star on my door. A door, a door, a door. Swing doors, huh? Did he get to number one? No, I think he got back to number 11. So that proves that Max Hedrum was very, very popular. A massive superstar. He even had a hit song in the 80s. His star shone so bright. And then it was extinguished before That's we even that. knew it. He became old hat he sort of faded out i guess as you said earlier he jumped the shark Mm. Uh, do you want to talk about that yeah i think i think he went behind a paywall i think that was the problem i think he went he went off of uh, terrestrial television because he had a very good channel four show on british channel four where a lot of the guests didn't get him so they didn't know whether he was being serious or or ironic you know and and that was working really well but maybe he got found out or he did go too soon. And um, he was doing, doing a lot more for like American stations and, and became out of reach to the touchstone that he had in the UK. That's for sure. He came, came off the back of the, you know, we just finished with music shows like the tube uh, with Jules Holland and the video show, which was the chart show, which started on channel four. A lot of that came out after, after Max Hedrum had been, well, the tube didn't, but, the video show certainly did, uh, the, the chart show. That used to have a test card that came up just to prevent people copying the video. And it was actually generated with either an Amiga or an ST, if, if I remember rightly. But the um, when he moved on, everything just backfilled very quickly afterwards. And um, his concept went to America and, and became something else. He, he became a mascot for hackers, people who didn't quite sort of like fit in with jocks, people who knew, who had a passion for music. The computer-generated side of him was like a um, really spoke to hackers and everything. So he was a real mascot for sort of like subcultures, of, of geeky subcultures, really. And I don't think he went to America to do that. But when when it's Max Hedrum that does the broadcast intrusion, you you already think that he he's that way inclined already, don't you? You already think that he's a he's a champion of these people, which which is strange because you know he, he, you know you wouldn't think of it as that. But now when you look back, he's everything that that hacking represents. On the American show, he became something that I think he wasn't supposed to. He morphed too far away from his original meaning and intent. And as a result, I think that was probably why it died. Also, with, with the fact that, you know, we're talking, he's very much, um, it's like Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, really, isn't it? Because when you look at actually what happened, it was his creator that took the, re- the news reporter's brain and, and stuck him in a computer. So the, it was actually the, the evil guy was actually the hacker's hero because he could hack this character, Max Hedrum. But actually, we manifest all our affection on Max Hedrum. We've all fallen in love with Frankenstein's monster, but we've forgotten about Frankenstein himself. 
that's because he's just a side character, isn't he? Mm. It was written to facilitate Max. Mm. Max is the star. And then all of these people are just people around him. You can see that a little bit in the TV, the American TV series, that is. They're desperately grabbing for some sort of relevancy, for mm. some sort of... The reason it flopped, I think, and was cancelled, is because it didn't work it, in that context. Outside of his original box, he just didn't work. Yeah, you, you know, you could think of like certain shows where the back character sort of comes over and, and becomes the main character mm. in the show, and sometimes it doesn't work that well, maybe. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I could say that there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that, definitely. Definitely. I think it, it's like the coach, isn't it? In a, in, when the manager gets a sack, right, and then, and then the, fir- and, and the reserves coach takes over. And he's, he does really well for a couple of games, doesn't he? But they still replace him. They still replace him for a bigger character. And um, I think that's where Max probably um, ended up, maybe. I don't know. He's, he's, he's a strange one. I don't know why. If they just took him on as a presenter, then that would be one thing. But, you know, to... Yeah, it's a bit like uh, you know we we don't we don't want to follow the presenter home, do we? Follow their life. Yeah. We just want to see that. Uh, also, the other thing that gets me on is Black Mirror. Um, you know, there there are certain episodes of Black Mirror where there's CGI created characters that people really like, but the person that's actually running the character is in conflict all the time because they're they're having to do and say things which are against their own personal politics. So it's quite Black Mirror in that way, I think. Yeah, I wonder if that took some sort of inspiration from Max. Because mm. uh, we go back to the point you made about the guests on his show. That mm. it was a really it worked in that context, the character, I think. It really worked. And that's mm. where perhaps he most shone. And I think that's where the inspiration comes from. It, look at Sasha Baron Cohen and mm. Ali G and Borat and, and Dennis Pennis. All and his all characters. People. Yep. They're yep. based on the same thing as that chat show. And, and and there's nothing better when you've got a celebrity for a book to plug or, or, or a song song to sell. They then become a better thing because they're more malleable, because you can, you know, <laughs> they're part of the deal. You know, they, they need to laugh with the presenter. They need to go along with these jokes and things like that. But when the presenter becomes the main thing and the guest just becomes the second fiddle, the, the guest is there and, and, and uh, the, the presenter's got nothing to bounce off of. That's right. The guests are the joke, aren't they? Because <laughs> if they think, oh, he's a real guy, he's a, he's a genuine guy, this, he's, <laughs> a, he's a proper TV presenter, then that's part of the whole deceit of it. <laughs> and that's why we still see that sort of thing happening today. I don't know why I'm thinking of Trigger Happy TV. <laughs> Dom Jolly, yeah. Yeah, Dom, with, the, with the massive... Yeah mobile phone yeah. hello yeah. yeah hello yeah yeah no it's shit it's, it's, yeah it's like real life hacking it's taking yes. max headroom hack and going into the street well yeah that's always been about with candid camera and things but back then you see cameras and all that were they're a bloody luxury you know so like you needed to have all these people in on it but then you look at what dom jolly did with a quick hack, he's doing it because you, the technology is becoming a lot more um, easier to handle and, and, and it's becoming uh, more available to anybody, which goes back to your camcorder again. You know, the camcorder that, that the incident was perhaps filmed on, which is quite feasible, 
it's available because it's now available to people whereas the tv studio equipment and the, the up uplink lorry and all that are still very much out of bounds and out of the regular uh out of the regular sort of like um you can't buy used ones or or anything like that you know they're, they're all built for purpose so you could see the real the, the real sort of like change between oh we can do this by ourselves but we need to still use this bit from the man yeah. and that, and that is the hacking part isn't it that's what hacking is all about hacking's about nicking the bit off the man with the bit that the people can have you go back to phone freaking anybody could whistle so you whistle down the man's phone and that gets you free phone calls captain crunch yeah yeah that's it and that, that's exactly what the, the spirit of hacking is Maybe if you give everything to the people, there won't be any hacking because the man doesn't own anything. And that maybe goes back to, you know, Max Hedrum sort of jumping his little shark. When he belonged to everybody um, in the end, through the hacking incident, he, he no longer needed to make any more appearances. His work had been done. He had, he had snuffed out hack culture. Are you saying that was actually the real Max Hedrum? What if it was? He took off the mask and beneath him, Max Hedrum, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he just goes into his uh, goes into his wardrobe and he's just like Max Hedrum masks with suits, and uh, he goes, oh, "I'll wear that one today." And progressively, like, progressively bigger masks that fit over the other one. Yeah. Well, we know what happened to Max Hedrum in the end. He he reappeared for Channel Four, didn't he, for their digital campaign? So he became an aged, grumpy-looking uh, guy. And um, I read quite recently that he has been reprised. He is going to come back. That would be um, brilliant. And yeah. how much does the Max Headroom hack feed into this? I think a massive amount. Hmm. There is a renewed thirst for Max Headroom stuff. Would this have happened without the hack? No. Maybe. But you could make a case that maybe hmm. because he was so big in the, the 80s and you can see that all 80s stuff is coming back into fashion now. Stranger Things shot entirely in 80s fashion, neon uh, vaporwave aesthetics. They all have returned in the last 10 years or so in a big way mm-hmm. as sort of the kids of the 80s have grown and become the main consumer in this current age. And Max Headroom, 1980s, late 1985 to 1988-9, around yeah. about that time, yeah. Yeah. was huge. It was enormous. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it could be that, but the Max Headroom incident is how a lot of kids know him. Mm. I'm going to say this. My brother won't mind me saying this, but he was in a pub and he overheard somebody talking about the Max Headroom incident around about the age 20. And and my brother said to them, oh, yeah, the Max Headroom incident. It's really cool, that. And the Mm. 20-year-old said, what do you know about the Max Headroom incident? You know about it. You're not supposed to know about that. That's the domain of kids. That's like a... Rowdy youngsters domain. Oh, right. yeah. So it was meant to be a domain of uh, a, a certain. So is your is your brother older than you or, or younger? Than you? He's only slightly younger than me. Yeah, but yeah. He, he's definitely older than the person that he yeah. met in the pub. And he wasn't meant to know about Max Hedrum. No, he wasn't meant. Supposedly, wasn't meant mm. to know about it. He's not allowed to know about it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, but the the thing is with the, what I like about the Max Hedrum thing so much is it is. Uh, is the folklore. You can see how previous generations spoke about, I've mentioned earlier, Spring Hill Jack and, and people, you know, you could jump over walls, 
because he could jump very high and get out of anywhere where he was locked up. And um, other other legends, you know, and I don't mean legends as in sort of like David Bowie or anything like that. I mean legends as in sort of like folklore or or lore itself. And that's why it's nice to have Max Hedron because he he can still live in a modern age. Yeah, he's, he's an um, urban know, legend, yeah. isn't he? He's he an urban legend. You know, it's sort of like we don't have sea monsters and all that. We've been all everywhere now. We know all about them. But this thing, he fits enough narratives. And, that, you know, I, I, I love the guy, really. It was the first thing like, um, you know, when I could when I could convert images on, on, on teletext and things like that. He was the first character I did because what was the first thing you ever wanted to do? And, it, and that to me was him. You know, you say, you know, if I... If I say, oh, you go into a record shop and you can pick whatever you like, you'll go in and pick that record up. Well, with me, you know, what was the first image I wanted to rip off? And, and that's because it was, they're, they're a pigeon pair. Max Hedrum and digitised stuff and all that. But that is the irony, isn't it? That the fact is he was all completely flesh and blood. But, you know, in my mind, he's, he's this computer character. Yeah, he did fool a lot of people. In the 80s, people, some people, thought that he was a CGI character. So mm. that's testament to the great makeup and TV effects they had. Mm. Uh, the background in the American show was generated on an Atari ST, as you mentioned. And mm -hmm. in the British show, I think it was recycled from the Yankel and Morton advertising agency. But mm. it, was, it was very similar. And from just seeing the background, you might conflate the fact that, oh, this guy's CGI as well. But the makeup, incidentally, Matt Frewer really struggled with. He said, imagine having a giant tennis ball on your head or something to that effect. So a great credit to that guy who played the character so well. Mm. He's the, he was the perfect guy. Uh, incidentally, he's Canadian, isn't he? He's not yes. American. He's playing no. this parody. Was he working in the UK or had an actor's permit in the UK? Well, he would have been because um, he was married to the actress that played Dr. Dacre's girlfriend in A Very Peculiar Practice. I don't know if they got married at that particular time. but Amanda Hillwood? Yeah, so that, that, would, uh, that would put him in the UK or near the UK in the mid-80s because that's when it was being filmed. So, uh, yeah, it, it could be, it could just be a, like an, an address book thing, but they would have probably took him as, as, you know, if they wanted an American character and, um, and he could pull off a North American twang voice, he, he, he certainly pulled the character off. And um, whenever you see Matt Frewer, uh, Sans, Max Hedrum makeup, he's still Max Hedrum, which he still uh, looks like he, him, doesn't it's he? Probably, probably a curse for the guy, but um, you know, he, he is, he is, Matt. You know, you could never have another Max Hedrum. Oh, you're Max Hedrum, aren't you? Do it, do, do the voice, do the go voice. Go, do, go, do, 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 Oh, yes. Hi, this is Max, 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 Max Hedrum, live down under. Normally, I'd say sunglasses are ostentatious. <laughs> but, but, but the beaches here are so hot, I actually need mine. You certainly don't seem to need much else. But there's one thing you need whenever you're sweating it out for Australia. And what I'm referring to is it. And it is Coke, which is why Cokeologists everywhere say Coke is it. Should we go through a couple more theories before we close on yeah. this special I edition? I think we ought to. I think what we can do is do theories in, I don't know, five sentences. Five sentences? Right. Five sentence theory. 
or have I ruined it? Just give us your theories, Dan. Oh, okay. Well, do you want my honest opinion on what I think the real theory behind the whole thing is? Yes. It's a little bit hazy. It's not all thought out like your theory about the communists, Carl. <laughs> it's always uh, the communists. It, I tend to think that there's something going on with the TV station there. There's a big link with the TV station. Mm -hmm. I think it was committed from within or even without with the laid off employees. But they would definitely have had the extensive broadcasting knowledge that the FCC representative kept banging on about in the news stories. Take some pretty sophisticated uh, microwave equipment operating in the broadcast uh, auxiliary frequency bands. Someone who really knows the business and uh, microwave in general. And apparently somebody uh, with some microwave equipment was able to interfere with our signal going to the uh, Hancock transmitter. Now this is not just anybody off the street. He has to have an electronic expertise of some level, right? Yes, he does. It takes very sophisticated equipment to, uh, to do this at a significant power level. So this isn't uh, something that just anyone would be able to, uh, to accomplish. Someone wants to get into your house, uh, they can find a way to do that. And I guess likewise, if someone wants to interfere with your signal, they can find a way to do that. Take some pretty significant uh, equipment, technical equipment, and some knowledge of uh, broadcast uh, frequencies, uh, microwave frequencies, and a lot of, uh, a lot of power. I, I don't think it was just some random guys doing it, because there seemed to be an axe to grind with the TV station. Have I gone over five sentences yet? You keep going, mate. It was a team effort, put it that way. Frillon and Captain Midnight, one-man efforts. Mm -hmm. This was a team effort. There were lots of people involved, at least two. Max, his accomplice, and then whoever they needed to get the tech to do that. It wasn't a one-man operation. No. So for that reason, I think it's more conspiratorial. Mm -hmm. And I also think there is a cover-up going on somewhere. There's definitely a cover-up keeping the real identities secret. Mm -hmm. And I think the Chicago police were paid off. Mm. Allegedly. Allegedly. It's just, yeah. A, yeah. it's just a theory. It's not well, what actually yeah. happened. But that's yeah. just the ballpark theory of what I think. It's not interesting. It's not funny, but there you go. So, yes, yeah, so you're saying that there was some angst at the TV station and some people got together and collaborated in spirit and in solidarity of the people that were being hard done by. So you could have had people that were staying at the station after this, but they, they were in on it as, as a show of strength or a show of unity. for Freaking liberals. Yeah, yeah, for, for, for the people that weren't going to be around. And then the last favour they all did each other was tie the investigating authorities up in knots so they just eventually gave up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that, yeah, I, I, that is a feasible thing. We just still don't know the motive. It's weird. We know we know the where and we know the how, but we don't really know the why. Yeah, what was the motive? I mean, you know, sacking someone, yeah, that sucks. But then why go to those lengths when you could just have wrote a letter to a newspaper or, or you've got that technology. You could have took over a, a radio station a lot easier, you know, a talk radio station or something like that. But I think you're onto something. I think what this was, this was a demonstration to you fired me. Look what I was capable of doing. You fired the best. You have just got rid of me and I'm showing you 
how bloody good I am that I could have done this. You know, I'm such a genius. I, I can do this to your station anytime I liked. And you've just got rid of your best talent. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. But I do think your explanation is excellent. But it also backs up the fact that Max Hedrum is actually an afterthought rather than the motive. I think this was, we're gonna, I'm going to show you how bloody good I am, at, uh, or we are as a collective to do this. And we're going to show you in this particular way. So we're going to put this ridiculous character on just to really lampoon your, your, your TV station. I mean, they, they, they could have broken, they could have played Beethoven. Yeah. Well, they had they a could have of... showed another Doctor Who. They could have showed another episode of Doctor Who. They really messed people. Yeah, that would have upset a lot of people. You know, they'll go, oh, no, I was just watching Tom Baker. Now, now it's bloody Peter Davidson. What's going on? The hackers had a lot of power in their hands, more than they could have known. But actually, maybe they knew it. Maybe they knew that if they did something really serious, they wouldn't have been able to get away with it. The mm. TV station, it's a big corporation, but you can't really cover up criminal stuff like that. Re I mean, really criminal stuff. Mm. If you came on the air and tried to convince somebody that, I don't know, so that, create scandal. If mm. you came on the air to try and create a political mm. scandal or something yeah. like that, then you probably wouldn't have been able to get away with it. But you can just mm. about cover up somebody mm. coming on the air mm. and farting in the camera. There's another thing with your theory as well that I like. The perpetrators could still be working in TV. They might have just moved on. They might have just got another job. They, they've messed around with WGN. That was their last cheerio to that particular station. And they've done that for a bit of a laugh. But if that ever came out, that they were involved with this in a particular way, yeah. Well, for the for the investigate for the time of the investigation, for sure, probably not so now. But they had other jobs to go on to. They, you know, it would have been in their best interest to keep it secret. You know, so if all of a sudden I was employing somebody and I found out that four years prior they had hijacked a TV station, I might not be so happy. I might have just sacked them on the spot. You know, so it could be that they were just starting out in their careers. It was perhaps a folly for them to do that, and uh, they they all took a collective. Um, shit in their trousers and, and decided to keep it a little bit un, on the QT. Yeah, I think it was probably before the sackings happened saying, come on, let's all get together and say, screw you. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Literally middle finger. But yeah. I, actually, if I were someone like that, I would put the Max Headroom hijacker on my CV, far from shying away from it. I'd embrace it and say, look at this, look at the technological... Well, you, you would now, but you've got to remember, back at the time, the TV stations were run by people who were... Uh, real company men you know they were yeah. now you'd look and go yeah that's real resourcefulness yeah that's brilliant you can make entertainment you'd make an excellent youtuber you know and things like that but back then i mean in in, in the uk I, I i can only really talk about the uk but top of the pops was run by people like who were schoolmasters and, and things like that and uh it was all fairly regimented it was like a government department so you can imagine that some of these tv stations to get a foot in through the door you had to be 
clean and clear and, and the right sort of person, which you weren't going to be if you're subversive. They've rolled up some uh, dog poo in glitter, <laughs> for the want of a better term, uh, to say, yeah, we've done this, but you were lucky because we only swiped you around the face rather than smashed you on the nose, maybe. But uh, I think there's more messages in that. Uh, also, with what they were doing on the video, you were saying earlier, you know, they did various things, waving things about, saying certain things, and they were checking to see what visual things could actually be done with the type of technology that they were using. So they weren't going to waste time and energy on, on, on holding a banner up that had a political message on it, maybe, you know, if they wanted to carry this stunt off elsewhere, because uh, their goal resolution is too rubbish, you know. So maybe that's why the can of Coke came out. They were just they were just trying certain things to see how that would come across on, on, on a hacked TV broadcast. It's very hard to tell if it is a Coke or a Pepsi can. I've watched back and mm -hmm. paused it, but it, it's in the 1980s, if you had that on a VHS tape, it would have been hard to tell. Mm. So mm. does he have a Coke or a Pepsi can? I'm sure we know now. I think, well, people say it's Pepsi, didn't they? Because the irony is that he's, um, he's, he's plugging the wrong product. You know, he's sort of like, yeah. we want to make it as ironic as possible. But again, is that a tell to say that the people didn't actually really know what he did advertise? I just knew it was a cola. It could be that. Or, or you know, it, it, more than probably that they did know. And they thought, well, how are we going to really piss off the IP of um, Max Hedron? We'll have him holding up the wrong Coke can or, or, or the wrong make of Coke. So, yeah, it's a lot of, lot, lot of interesting things on it. Do you think it could have been an attack on Max Hedron himself? Hence the wider media. Do you think they were appropriating that for its original purpose as in satirizing the media? Or do you think they didn't like Max Hedron? and they were attacking him in some ways. It, well, it did both, really. I think, yeah. it, I think it was a both ideas can exist. I think that people can be as upset as at Max Hedrum as, as a concept and at the same time be upset at TV for maybe accepting him as easily as they did. But I can tell you one person who definitely wasn't watching that, and that was uh, Matt Furrer or, or the Max Hedrum team. You know, they're not going to be watching a TV station in Chicago. So it's yeah. a case of, I don't think it was a, a dig at the people as such, but I think it was a dig at the IP maybe. But again, it, it could just be that they said, right, yeah, we need something for maximum shop value that isn't going to make people cry. I've picked these props up at the local shop. And the other thing is, you know, the, the, the use of the uh, phallic uh, sex toy, you see, uh, you're not going to get many owners of sex shops going, oh, yes, 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 I'm an owner of a sex shop. Yeah, they came in and bought that off of me. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, the clandestine nature of everything is going to be a case of whoever's selling that sort of gear off might not actually um, be able to get an open forum um, on, on broadcast media anyway. So it was a, a case of, yeah. That, this, vib this vibrator was brought to you by John's <laughs> Sex Shop, Market Street, <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Only it. the finest. We get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, we cut out the middle, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Mm. Right, yeah. so to wrap up, I have one more theory. Yes. And 
this answers all of the questions, I think, on why the Max Headroom hijacker has not been caught. And that's because he died of piles minutes after he was hit on the bottom with the fly swatter. And that is why he's no longer on television today, our mate, Max Headroom. But his body of work, it survives, it endures. People still love him. Eminem loves him because he appeared in the Rap God video, didn't he? Mm, yeah, so you, you're saying that he uh, died of nobbies. <laughs> nobby styles. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, yeah, he, he could have he could have caught the wave of Preparation H, though, couldn't he? Rather oh, yeah, than using, that was good, uh, wasn't it? That was good. Yeah, he could, he could be yeah, using the old Preparation H. and uh, But maybe that's what he did. Maybe he got the uh, Preparation H mixed up with his um, Nivea cream, and that's why his face was so shiny all the time. So his, uh, his cheeks began to shrink. I went through the effort of getting all these preps tonight, but I didn't get the piles cream. Oh. <laughs> what a shame. This show was so very nearly complete. And you but, haven't got French made behind you, spanking your bottom with, uh, a, with a huge dildo. I could have hired one from Fiverr, couldn't I? For the whole <laughs> show. Smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Are you done yet? Oh, come on. What Thank are you, you talking about? Uh, Max Edroom. I Thank was you. born in 1992. <laughs> Pull the vibrator out and go. <laughs> so, Dan, I just wanted to sort of say in a world where we didn't have the Max Hedrum incident. Where do you think we would be thinking of Max Hedrum now? I think the Max Hedrum incident is a huge part of Max Hedrum folklore. Evidence for this is in the fact it's featured prominently in the Wikipedia article. And that is where people find out about the past these days. In years gone by, we would have checked encyclopedias, asked our elders, but now we have the internet and Wikipedia. And it's there front and centre. And people see... Oh, this cool character, Max Headroom, had a, had a show. But what's this? Someone in a Max Headroom mask hacked into a TV program. That's mm. the most interesting thing that pops out at you when you read it. Mm. That, along with the whole folklore behind it, is mm. one of the reasons why he's coming back. Mm. I'd love to see if he makes a reference to the Chicago TV hijack in his new show. Yeah. He should do, really, because he has a lot to thank. He has... Yeah, that, well, he, he might have a knowing a knowing reference in there. There might be something like a, I don't know. He might he might pull up in a car with WGN in the registration or something like that. And that and that would be enough. That would keep us Uber fans really interested. But um, for for me, a world without the intrusion, Max Hedron would just have been another. He would have been a, a, a rare mention on a I love the 80s rent a gob talking heads thing, you know. And it would be, oh, yeah, do you remember that cartoon character? Yeah, a bit like Roland Rat, I think. I think he would be held in that sort of esteem. But I'm just so glad that the intrusion happened because it's built this character up in our minds, this, this caricature of a. I don't know, a, a, like a hat culture, cyberpunk demigod. But, um, yeah, that's the hyperbole to Max there. 
Dan. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's all my theories. And um, I, I really like yours. I think the, your, your your cheesed off employees is the one to go with. But if we're being sensible, yeah, yeah. But I think it fits in that they became useful idiots for my CIA conspiracy. <laughs> So that's the whole reason that they did it, is because they want to facilitate your conspiracy theory in the year 2022. I think they were taken advantage of. Someone had said, yeah, yeah, you really need to do this and prove your point. Yeah. You know what? Everything you've said does make sense. A lot of it is true. So Mm. there is a possibility that it could be. Mm. There is a world, in a world, in Mm -hmm. a world where the communists caused the Max Headroom hijack. Yes. I'd love to think that that's the case. That's going on the thumbnail, isn't it? For the, for the, that's going on the <laughs> YouTube thumbnail. I'll do an AI art of yeah, Max yeah, Hedrum yeah, so with the... Ma- uh... Ma- Max Hedrum was, a, yeah, Max Hedrum was a, a capitalist crusader. It will take them, it'll take them two hours to get to the point where they understand why we put that in. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, <laughs> I, I think, I think you know, I, in, in summary, I think it was a proof of concept and they needed to try it out somewhere, and they tried it out in Chicago uh, because the conditions were right. They had enough people pissed off at the local station with the knowledge, so they were groomed. These people were groomed by the local handlers to do their thing. You know, they're going, that'd be a great idea, it'd be really good, but actually it was like um, they were sort of duped into doing it. I think they were tricked into doing it, and they were probably blackmailed afterwards as well, and that's why it never came out. It's as plausible as any other theory because we just don't know what happened, do we? That's why all these out there theories, mm. there's a small chance that they could be true. Mm. And that is why it endures to this day, the Max okay. Headroom hack. Mm-hmm. Now, Carl, yes. we're going to have to come back in the future for more broadcast signal intrusion related episodes. Captain Midnight, mm-hmm. uh, we, we could do a whole show on Vrillon, couldn't we? Because mm-hmm. uh, I've got some stuff to say about that. But we're going to leave you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, with one of my favorite, a very British hack. And this is from recent times, the year 2017. TheGuardian.com. Local radio station keeps getting hijacked by a song about masturbation. Ofcom, hunting pirates who persistently overrides frequency of Mansfield 103.2 to play the Winkers song by Ivor Biggin. So that's the Max Headroom hijack of Great Britain, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what you need to use the hijacks for. That's a proper use of it. Not saying Chuck Sparsky is a freaking liberal. <laughs> just to make stupid sex jokes. That's it. Well, we'll dedicate this whole episode to Chuck Sparsky. And also, um, if anybody uh, wants to go and find that endless thread discussion, yes, it's available as an excellent podcast. And the transcripts available online as well as as uh, as, as you will find out. Also, there are other things you can look on there. There's a stuff you should know podcast about the Max Hedrum incident. Again, from uh, probably told by the best people, the American people, because that's where it happened. So there's plenty of resources out there for anyone to to go and have a look. But stick your own opinions. Keep to yourself. Not only joking. Stick your stick your own opinions in the comments. Go on, I dare you. Yes, please do. If you've watched to this point, just leave a comment just to say something silly I don't know. If you've reached this point in the podcast, you've got to write in the comment, you've got to write, what what words should I put in the comments, Dan? 
on my tiles. No, don't put that. <laughs> oh, by the way, some people claim that he says my files, which oh, I think that's oh. more of an anachronism. Oh. I think he does say my piles because then he proceeds to poop oh, all dear. over his chair, doesn't he? He defiles. Yes, yeah, so yeah, defiles. Oh, my defiles. You've got to type that in. Yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, he's defiled the American public. Ah. Oh, that's enough. That's enough. Right. right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching the Max Headroom, the long-awaited Max Headroom edition of the Sofa Club, the television Sofa Club. I've really enjoyed this venture into American television tonight. What say you, Carlos? It was absolutely brilliant, Dan. Thanks for having me on, and I look forward to boring you to death again in the future. You've not bored me to death. No. It's a very plausible theory. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll try not to bring my squeaky chair next time. You're going to have a nightmare with the edits in there. <laughs> well, Max Headroom had a quite squeaky chair. It went... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was his piles. There was a lot of background noise and clattering, wasn't there? Like, tongue, yeah. tongue, tongue, clatter, clatter. Yeah. yeah a yeah. lot of foley going on there. Yeah, they, they must have dropped the microphone down the stairs or something like that. So they <laughs> went down to one mic. But, uh, yeah. Oh, brilliant, though. Thank you, Dan. Enjoyed that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Carlos, for joining me tonight, my co-host. No worries. And, and uh, yes. Anything else to say in closing? Anything else that you want to add to today's show? I have nothing else, Dan. We we've covered everything. There is everything. nothing. Incoming, part two, next year. You just you wait. There's about a million things we haven't covered. An an another theory. So... Guys, please do join us again in the future for related concepts. And um, it's been a great night. Thank you for listening this far. We hope we've entertained you with some of our crackpot and not-so-crackpot theories. And remember, this is just for entertainment. I mean, was anything we said really serious tonight? Well, that's for you to go away and think about. And that's the beauty of the Max Headroom incident. But for now... I say thank you very much and say, they're coming to get me. They're oh! coming to get us, Carl. What do you have to say to that? Too late. They've got me already. Ah, that's brilliant. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much. It annoyed some viewers. No, I just thought it would be just a slight mess up, but that and little tape, it's going to be. Who can have to tape over it? Who can have to tape over it? Who can have to tape over it? Angry lovers. Uh, somebody wants to get attention, what do they do? They go break into a uh, uh, television broadcast. Just to get attention, like throwing a brick through your window, so to speak. It's not too, it's not too bright, really. Well, some thought it was a lot of fun. So what did you think about the whole thing? I got so upset that I wanted to bust the TV set. I really did.